The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Last Sunday we looked at John 10.10, with Jesus declaring that the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, and then going on to say that he, Jesus, came that we might have life in all its fullness. I then went on to touch on the, the suffering of Jesus and his redemptive work, particularly as prophesied by Isaiah. And I asked how, if we have a God who sent his son in such a way, and who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, how could we, why would we, and in fact how dare we, settle for a life that is so much less than what he came to give us. As Michael was talking about the realisation that we've come from death to life, and part of me is going, yeah, and then there's the rest of the journey from here into the fullness of all that God has for us. What a journey. When God has done so much, how can we settle for so much less. And so this morning we turn to Second Peter. And in chapter 1, verse 3, we read, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I'm reading that and I'm going, man, I think I could actually sort of preach for a month or two on that. There is so much in that. Does that sound like life in all its fullness? Let's read it again. His divine power that according to Ephesians 3.20 is at work within us, has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. I'm going, wow, that's quite something that we are called to. And if we go back to Numbers, in case we need to be assured of the fact, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. God is absolutely reliable. And now he says through Peter that he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them we might participate in the divine nature. I've got to say, I can't even begin to imagine what that looks like. And then Peter continues in verse 5. For this very reason, because of this, 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will, not they might, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me recap that. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. His great and precious promises so that through them we might participate in the divine nature. And these things, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love, they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. If Jesus came to give us life in all its fullness, and his power is at work within us, and his great and precious promises are ours, so that we can participate in the divine nature, then maybe, just maybe, we need to pay attention to these things that we are told will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. As I look at the list, I observe the similarities to what we often talk about as being the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And usually when I'm speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, I usually make the point that a tree doesn't produce fruit by trying harder. There's been some lovely plums on the trees out there. I'm told the apples out there are quite nice. I see the Fijoas are coming through. And I don't see a single tree out there trying harder to produce fruit. If a tree is well planted, well nourished and well watered, it will produce fruit. It's the nature of a fruit tree. And so sometimes we get the idea that God has to do all of the work to produce these things in us. To a degree that's true because I often come back to he is the vine, we are the branches. If we remain in him we will bear much fruit. Apart from him, apart from him we can do nothing. And yet in Philippians we are told to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so we see here while we cannot save ourselves and while we cannot work transformation in our own lives, because apart from Jesus we can do nothing, but we're also told that there are things that we can do, things that we must do, things that we must make every effort to do, that somehow allow us to cooperate in what God is wanting to do in us and through us. God doesn't force himself on us. He invites us to come to him. He invites us into relationship with him. He invites us to partner with him in the work of his kingdom. And so if we want to live an abundant life, 
There are some things that we've got to do to take hold of it and make it our own. So where do we start? Well, we start with faith. And we're told to make every effort to add to our faith. In Ephesians, we're told it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith is a gift from God. And in Romans 10, we're told, how can they call on the one in whom they have not believed, and how can they believe if the one and the one whom, of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And then in verse 17 of that same chapter, consequently, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith is a gift from God, which we receive when we listen to him. Not when we just hear his word, but when we listen to him, when we pay attention to what he says. And even now, that sounds kind of simple. God's just going to give us a gift of faith when we listen to him. And As I was preparing this, I thought of the song we sing that says, uh, Let me hear your words above all other voices, above all the distractions in the world. And I think that's one of our challenges for faith, is we are so distracted. There are so many voices speaking into our lives, so many things telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. So many demands on our time. <coughs> but if we're going to receive faith, we need to hear from God through his word, through the scriptures, by his Holy Spirit, and in the context, I believe, of the body of Christ. But there are so many distractions, so many other voices and therefore we need certain practices that allow us to one degree or another to pull aside and to focus on hearing the voice of God. If you look at the chapel website, there's a list of things, some of the, what they call the spiritual disciplines, practices that allow us to and cause us or, or we choose to take ourselves aside to focus on and hear the voice of God of God. However, the only problem isn't hearing the voice of God. Often I find the biggest problem are the filters through which we hear God speak. You see, I'm a thinker. I did really well academically at school. And that can be a plus. But for me it was a bit of a problem. You see, it made me something of a cynic. When I hear something, I question it. I take what I've been told, and I'm not easily convinced. I want explanations, I want evidence, and of course, I then filter that information through my existing worldview and my accumulated knowledge. Now, critical thinking is an incredibly valuable skill that is woefully lacking in our world today. However, when it comes to matters of faith, it can be, and for me, for a long time, it was a massive stumbling block. Any new information that did not fit within my worldview 
did not fit my existing knowledge base, my previous experience. I was quick to cast that information aside. And so my existing knowledge became the filter through which I would hear God. The foundation on which my faith rested as a result was my knowledge. And my knowledge was always limited. And so my faith was always limited. I and my worldview are a product of the world in which I live and the churches in which I grew up and the experiences that I've had and the teaching that I've received. And then along the way, somewhere, and I really can't mark the point, I can mark some key flags along the way, but God began to undermine my cynicism. He began to undermine, he began to pull apart my worldview as little by little he spoke. He spoke through his word. The more I read, the more something stirred within me, a fresh understanding of who he was and of what he did and what he does. And it became increasingly obvious that it made a lot of sense to question my filters and not a lot of sense to question and doubt his word. As part of my journey, God led me to more and more people whose lives and testimonies began to open my eyes. And I became more discerning about who I would listen to in terms of who I allow to shape my worldview. And one of my questions was, are they living life in all its fullness? Because if their lives are as humdrum as mine, I'm not sure they've got the answers that God wants for me. And along that way I spent less time reading what others have to say about the word and more time reading the word for myself. Because ultimately I don't want to know what someone else thinks God is saying through his word. I want to know what God is saying through his word. And I've said a few times, one of my greatest concerns in the church today is we've either kind of watered the word down or we've lifted up the ability to, or the need to be so educated in order to understand the word that most of us just go, I couldn't do that. But the gospel was entrusted first to simple men. And I think we need to put the Bible back in the hands of people and make it accessible. I go back to the Ethiopian eunuch who is riding along and he's reading and he doesn't understand what he's reading and Philip comes along and hops up in the chariot and says, let me explain. And he explains what's in there from Isaiah, that passage in Isaiah 53. And then Philip heads off in his way and Ethiopian eunuch heads off back to Ethiopia and all he's got, what hope has he got? He's only got the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. No theologians to train him. He's simply got God's Word and the Holy Spirit. And it's like, that's got to be enough. 
So ultimately you don't want to know what someone else thinks God is saying. Now I'll listen, and I'll use that critical thinking skill that I have to evaluate what I'm reading and what they're saying. You know, often I've read um, uh, William Barclay. I love William Barclay's commentaries. My dad introduced them to me when I was a kid, and I, I love William, reading William Barclay's commentaries because he's got such incredible historical insight into the time of the New Testament. But I have to filter it because he doesn't believe, it seems, in the power of God to do miracles. And every time there's a miracle in the New Testament, he kind of finds a way of explaining it, aside from our God is a mighty and powerful God. And so I read what he says, but I filter it through a different filter. I go, but what does the word actually say? Again, this is why, as I said last Sunday, and I've said many times, I don't want you to believe a word I say. I want you to go home and look it up in the scriptures for yourself. See what you hear God saying through the scriptures. See, when it comes to faith, you must live by the faith that God gives you, not the faith that I give you. You've got to live by what God speaks to you, not by what I speak. And as I began to step out in faith, acting even hesitantly on the things I heard and saw, God began to prove himself faithful and true. And my faith began to grow. And my faith continues to grow as I continue to step out. So if you want to take hold of the divine promises and build your life on a firm foundation of faith, hearing God through his word and walking in obedience, it's not that complicated. In fact, it's one of the most simple Bible stories that we know. And Margaret, for those of you who don't know, Margaret who did communion with my wife. And Margaret didn't know that this verse was in here. But it's that lovely story. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain comes down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. When our lives rest on the foundation of the word, the written word and the living word, it's not shaken. Knowledge is good. But let your knowledge rest on a foundation of faith. Never let your knowledge be a limitation. Your understanding or your experience, never let them determine and define or undermine your faith. Just because you've never seen it happen before doesn't mean that God doesn't want and God can't do it. That said, there is a layer in this passage between faith and knowledge. Because it says to add to your faith, goodness. And to your goodness, knowledge. How many men and women have lived lives of great faith? Working powerfully in the things that God has called them to. And they possess great knowledge. They could quote Bible chapter and verse. But they lose it all because of character. 
It's not about being perfect, but as we learn to walk in greater faith, don't neglect the importance of character development. In 1 Corinthians, we're told, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Faith is a gift of God, from God, when we hear him speak. But Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. You know, in our society, knowledge tends to be our default setting. But when I look at that list, everything we're to add, knowledge is the only thing that seems to be a default setting for us. Everything else is about character. Goodness, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Knowledge is good, but goodness, character, is so much more important. As is self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Faith is a gift from God when we hear him speak. So take time to listen to what he says. And knowledge is important, but everything else that we must add is all about character. And Peter says, make no mistakes. Character, goodness, is more important than knowledge any day. You know, I've seen some people over my time who've got faith and they've got character. Very little knowledge. Before I met Warren, my wife and I were pastors at the Salvation Army in Wainui Mata. And we had a lady in the church and she had severe mental health issues. And she'd leave me a little note about something and it'd be all spelt wrong. But then she'd bring a word from God for me. And she'd have it written out. And she'd go, look, there's this word and that word and that word and that word and that word. She just, I have no idea what they mean. She didn't have a clue what the words meant. But they were spelt absolutely perfectly. You see, this lady had faith and she had character. She didn't need knowledge. And God spoke through her consistently. If I have faith to move mountains, but I do not have love, if I do not have goodness, if I don't pay attention to my character, I will be ineffective and unproductive. And then Peter reminds us that their character, love, goodness, they go hand in hand with self-control, perseverance, and mutual affection. If there is no self-control, no perseverance, and no mutual affection, there is no love. Love is not just be kind. Love requires self-control and perseverance and mutual affection. I said to someone this morning, 
one of the things I love. You know, I've been here nine years, and I would say it's in the last 18 months to two years, I've really, and in the last few months particularly, I've really noticed the level of mutual affection in this congregation rise. That does my heart so much good. You know, the kingdom of God is made up of all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. And it make, does my heart good to see this place beginning to reflect the kingdom of God. Irrespective of who we are, there is love, there is mutual affection. So listen to God. Listen in his word. Listen to his spirit's prompt in your spirit. Listen through those who are in the body who are trying to speak to us, through whom God is speaking to us. Be discerning, but listen for God's voice in it. And to your faith, add goodness. And to your goodness, knowledge. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us to far more than we could ask or imagine. You've read, and many of you have read, some of the words that God has brought to this place over time. God wants to do something, but he's only going to be able to do it if we listen to him if we walk in obedience to him, if we make every effort to add to our faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, etc. Then we will know and understand and then we will begin to love lives, life in all its fullness. The sort of life worthy of the Son of God coming and giving his life for us. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.